Hey everyone, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy, amongst other things. Today, I want to first say thank you. I was published in the New York Times last week, as well as mentioned in Bloomberg, both of which were things that are unbelievable for me. I'm at a loss for words, at a loss for even how to feel about it, but it's all because you all watch and subscribe and read and listen to me across all the various platforms that I'm on. And so I'm so thankful for you to being here on this journey with me. Today, I want to talk about the algorithmic money faucet because I've been thinking about Adam Morseri's video, who is the CEO founder of Instagram and basically he's like Instagram is going to become TikTok because that is going to be how we grow. We have that full frame feed and video versus photo and Kylie Jenner was like that's disgusting and she destroyed Snapchat. I think people started freaking out because of that. But the thing is users don't care about growth. Many of the comments were like I the user of Instagram do not care if Instagram grows. I just want to see my friends pictures but it's not about users as Dan Toomey said in this really great video. There's an important thread within all of that that growth at any cost mindset and the commodification of users. Platforms are pushing stuff that nobody wants and users wanting their needs to be respected. The that people were upset because they felt like something they liked, pictures of their friends, was being co-opted into a larger algorithmic money faucet. Our lives are content machines, for better or worse. The content that we consume and produce is increasingly being designed to appease to this algorithmic money faucet, which can end up shaping who we are. As Gerwinder writes in The Perils of Audience Capture, simply in order to be someone, we need someone to be someone for. Personalities develop as we fill a role that we perform for other people. We're shaped by people and people shape us. People create content, so content shapes us too. Content is this water in the algorithmic money faucet and social media is a faucet itself. The spigots are controlled by more money and the social media platforms are going to turn those spigots on in full blast, which means that users get drenched in content, which isn't great. Our brains are just not designed for all of that. A lot of problems today are shaped by social media. I will stand by that. Mental health, all of it. I think all of that has been exacerbated by this present onlineness that we have, but we have not been given tools in order to really understand like what it means to be a person like 24-7. There are endless studies pointing the negative consequences of social media platforms on mental health, but it also causes strife and anger because that is what social platforms want. There's an incentive to share it right? You can say all you want about the intentions of the platforms, but there's an incentive for people to get angry. It's super well known as Molly Crockett, a member of the L team that wrote how social learning amplifies more outrage expression in online social networks said amplification of more outrage is a clear consequence of social media's business model, which optimizes for user engagement platforms, create incentives that change how users react to political events over time. We're incentivized to be angry. So we're going to be angry. That is what the algorithmic money faucet wants from us. Part of the reason that the vibes are bad right now is because things are bad. Inflation is raging rent is skyrocketing, but also social media amplifies the badness and rewards elements of doomerism, especially on TikTok and Twitter. It doesn't reward nuance. And so when we think about anger and economic data, this anger, of course, shows up in how we interpret the economy. We had a really good jobs report the other day, over half a million jobs added, which was like way more than anybody expected. The unemployment rate is ticking down. We recovered all the jobs lost in the pandemic and did it a much faster clip than previous recessions. Since the start of the year, we've gained 3.3 million jobs, which is phenomenal. But there there's a coarse nuance and noise where good news is bad news. Jobs are a lagging indicator. The labor force participation rate is not good. And there are signs that productivity is suffering. For production, we got a strong ISM report that showed a slowdown in manufacturing activity, but a huge drop in prices paid. Wages, the ECI report showed strong signs of spending and wage growth, but it showed that we could be nearing wage price spiral land, which is bad, which would give companies rain to raise prices because people make more, causing people to make even more. Companies raise prices even more. There's also corporations. So U.S. companies have 
haven't been going bankrupt at the same clip, but investment grade spreads continue to widen. This will likely to continue to get worse and the yield curve continues to invert as treasuries basically trade like meme stonks. And then you have consumers. So delinquency rates are starting to tick up as people take on larger debt balances to try and battle inflation as their savings rate plummets. 15% of Americans are falling behind on rent payments. There's been a huge increase in home builder cancelizations, but the housing market shows signs of easing partially because mortgage rates have mooned. People seem to be feeling better as gas prices ease, but there will likely need to be a double catch up in demand as consumers fill up their tanks and gas stations refill faster. Everything is mixed right now. It's good news that the labor market is strong, but the corollary to that is that the Fed now has full room to go even more fast and furious. The economy is doing too well, and that's not good for their inflation fighting goals. So they could rip rates and go full throttle, and they could end up risking a recession. As the Richmond Fed highlighted, the main reason that people don't like inflation beyond everything getting real expensive is that it creates uncertainty. We do not like uncertainty as creatures. <laughs> it's confusing and noisy. And the way to interpret these metrics is confusing and noisy too. And as I discussed last week, I think the way that we think about the economy is going to have to evolve. As the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas wrote, as trend GDP growth slows due to aging demographics and slower productivity gains, there may be more frequent periods of negative GDP growth without an increase in unemployment, making the distinction between increasing slack and declining activity more relevant than the past. GDP might be negative, but it doesn't mean things are bad. It just means that growth at any cost might not be the most sustainable model for the economy or reflective of the state of the economy. It's not gaslighting to say this. It's not lying. And I'm not a paid shill from the CIA. It's just a different way of thinking about the economy, which will likely be necessary moving forward. And this applies for how we think about markets too. Ben has a really great thread on how theory, which is just theory and just like data isn't always reality. The invisible hand is sometimes swayed more by the narrative of building versus the actual building itself. When we think about the algorithmic money faucet, it rewards big takes on what theory says about things being bad. And when it does that, that purports more things, bad takes and so on and so forth. Badness is rewarded. And because of that, it clouds our views. However, with all that being said, there is nuance. No one is denying that things are hard right now. We're starting to see flashing red bells in consumer credit profiles and elements of the labor market and still have further to go with the Fed. But extrapolating a bit from Lee's point on crime and NYC, we are fueled by perception. The algorithmic money faucet does not like detail, but that is what this economy requires. Things are bad, things are good, and it's important to understand where and why both are happening versus saying that everything is actually hell. Nuance is required, especially as we navigate the next few months of the Fast and Furious Fed who are hell-bent on fighting inflation. The way that we think about the economy and the markets might have to evolve as the economy and the markets evolve, which Matt Klein has written extensively about. This is with the a grain of salt economy. Data, theory, etc. don't always reflect reality. So be cautious with what the algorithmic money faucet tells you. And as a reminder of life outside the algorithmic money faucet, which I always need a reminder of, in A Philosophy of Walking, this author beautifully explores the concept of walking through the lens of thought, reflective power and action, taking a stand. It underscores the simplicity of our lives, but highlights the complexity. He writes, being someone is all very well for smart parties where everyone is telling their story. It's all very well for for psychologist consulting rooms, but isn't being someone also a social obligation which trails in its wake? For one has to be faithful to the self-portrait, a stupid and burdensome fiction. The freedom in walking lies in not being anyone, for the walking body has no history. It's just an eddy in the stream of immorial life. Thanks so much for watching. I know, thanks so much for watching. I will be back, of course, and I hope that you're doing well. I'll link the New York Times piece below, as well as the Bloomberg piece and my Substack as well on TikTok, on Instagram, 
Instagram, on LinkedIn, anywhere and everywhere. I hope that you're doing okay. Let me know your thoughts below and I'll talk to y'all soon.